so it worked there. Well, good morning, Rock Harbor. Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Glad you made a decision to be in church this morning. And gather with God's people to worship and to praise. We're on page 11 in our study guides. You got to turn there. title of today's lesson is Our Responsibility for God's Creation. <clears throat> I think we could probably get caught up in the word responsibility by itself for quite some time. Um, the responsibility of, of um, you know, responsibility of the cross, uh, responsibility of Christianity, responsibility uh, to be submissive. There's a whole host of things that we're to be responsible for. Um, a lot of people don't think that, at least from my dealings. A lot of people don't look at Christianity and responsibility as going hand in hand. There's been so much semantical change in, in the verbiage in Christianity over the years that people have heard free for so long. Free. Salvation is free. Well, it is, but it depends on how you look at it. And But the people in our country, when you say free, <laughs> it means give me a handout and then I don't have to do anything else. So free, when I say free, that verbiage kind of gets tangled up in Christianity, the Western culture view of it. And so is Christianity free? Yes, Christ paid the, the price for salvation and so that you could re be redeemed back to the Father. But as soon as you accept that, then comes the responsibility. Yes, it was free, absolutely. You got free, uh, it's like getting free admission into something. It's great, right? You get free admission. Uh, for, for whatever the reason. But you still there's still responsibilities. You, they have guidelines and ways that you're supposed to act within that place that you got free admission to. Well, we got free admission into the kingdom of God. But there's a whole list of responsibilities that you and I have uh, to be followed. And it's not the American version of free where we get it and then we can just sit down and then just sit on it. And then, and then uh, when things don't go our way, we look for another free. Free, free? Free, free, free. <laughs> you all know that commercial. It's not free for free. There's things that we have to do. All right, so central truth is that God values his creation and commands us to care for it. Under let's get started, God had created human beings in his own image. He also gave them abilities and responsibilities. And I put those two together, abilities and responsibilities. And he trusted them to carry out their responsibilities to steward his creation properly. Unfortunately, when sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, that sin impacted the human ability and desire to follow God's command. It's still the same today. It hasn't changed. That same, this, um, the struggle is still the same. Sin still causes um, disruption, disintegration, um, a degrade in whatever it is that you're doing. And sin always stands to degrade and devalue what God is doing. Well, think about it. Think about all the times. Think about what you were doing in your life. I mean, let's just let's look at it this way. I mean, you're following God, and you're doing everything you can to follow him, and then you, you dive back in, so to speak. You make a series of bad decisions. And it's usually up to that point. You didn't realize what you had until it was gone. And when say amen to that. And then you're like, okay, I've got I've to get back on track again. But then it's a little harder, Right? It's a little harder. What's the deal with the hardness? Where'd that come from? It's because that sin stepped in and it degraded it. It broke it down. Now we've got to spend our time trying to build the thing back up again. When if we would just listen, my dad always used to tell me, just listen to me the first time. 
I don't, God hasn't actually said that per se, but I think if he could, he'd say, just listen to me the first time. It'd be a whole lot easier if you, if you just do what I say the first time. I believe that, and I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of Christians struggle is because they're constantly diving into sin, and it tears down what they were doing. Then they got to build it back up again. Then it tears it down again because they went back, went astray again. I'm not talking about mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to living for God and then, well, I'm not going to live for God for a while. Then living for God and then not living for God for a while. And there's actually quite a few people, quite a few what we would call Christians, that are doing that. And they live that way. That's their lifestyle. That's the way they live. Yeah, they still show up at church, but that's the way they live. And they can't understand why they can't get their life on track. It's because you don't stay hooked up with God long enough for it to happen. Um, you ever heard of the terminology chronic exposure? You're chronically exposed. In, in my industry, with chemicals, that's a big deal. They always talk about chronic exposure. The longer you're exposed to something for a long period of time, it starts to have an effect on your body. Better make sure you're wearing your protective gear. Better make sure that you're wearing your mask and doing all the, these things that you're supposed to be doing because it may not get you today, but 20 years from now, it's going to have an effect on you. Chronic exposure to something. God's the same way. And Christians have to understand that we need not just a great service, but you have to be chronically exposed to God on a continual basis for things to work correctly. I think people want to come in and they want a great service and lay hands on me and like anoint me with oil and it's like, okay, I'm going to go forth. Well, my week is still really tough. I don't know what happened. I'm going to go down for prayer again. Well, it's not about how great the service can be, but how often are you visiting the throne when you're not in the service? Chronic exposure. How long are you uh, allowing yourself to be subjected to the Spirit and allow yourself to be brought into His presence where you can feel conviction and see things a different way? If you're not doing that, you haven't been chronically exposed to Him enough to even change you. You with me? God doesn't work the, the, the way that we'd like him to sometimes. It's like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'll ask, and then he'll decide to do it or not, or he doesn't. And if he does it, he's great. And if he doesn't do it, then I don't understand him. Think about that. That's a lot of how a lot of people run their lives. So i got two people. Go ahead. You and then you. Um, what, you what you're saying makes a lot of sense in comparison to what you're talking about, your job, or if you think about what what's happening in the world the last couple of years with the virus, this virus and stuff, okay? You see all the, like, the people that wearing all their masks. I'll take it back to the military where we're in mop level four mask, okay. all your suit on and sure. everything. Well, that's the, that's the armor of God here. Right, that's, what you're there, talking that's a good about. point, good point. You know. You're you're gonna take hits inevitably, and and you your armor's only as good as it is after you've been hit, but you got to patch it up. Mm. Yep. God is the only one who can do that. Yeah, it's we his it's his armor. Yeah, we can't walk around sewing stuff up thinking you're not gonna. That's not a weak spot. Right. Or if your boat's got a hole in it, you know if you. Good. You're gonna have to, you know, patches don't work. It has to be welded up and waterproof, you know, everything else. So there's steps involved in that right. to 
make sure that you're assured up. Well, along with that point, I think that's a great point. It's, it's his armor anyway. So I'm going to take it back to the owner. Let him fix it. That's nothing that you, you and I can't fix the armor. Take it back to the manufacturer. Take, take it back to the manufacturer, and he'll fix it. In fact, go ahead. That's a good point. Absolutely. Conversation. And it changes everything. And a lot of people don't understand that. You yep. know? And that kind of hit me. I'm like, I just need to just talk to him like yep. we're having a conversation. No, no formality to it. And I and I love that about him is that it's because it's personal. Yeah. That's very 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 good. Very good. Okay. So um, you know, sin came into the world, messed everything up. Adam and Eve, sin impacted the human ability to desire and to follow God's command. All right, Scripture often describes creation in terms of a gift to humanity. Even so, God expects us to obey him by caring for his creation. To the first humans, God said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That's um, um, it's authority, right? That's what Adam, Adam had. Um, put him in charge of all these things. And in the way that I term that is it's authority. It's an authority given task, okay? Authority given task. You got a task. He says, "This is what I need you to do." But in the midst of what I need you to do, I'm gonna put you over it. You're on top. You're you're the main individual, okay? So it says he placed them in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Part of Adam's task involved learning about animals, which seems to be indicated in his naming in, in naming them. Okay. So let's read our scriptures. Page 12. Julie, can I ask you to read? Okay. Genesis 1.29. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. 2.15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Psalms 8.4. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with the <clears throat> glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. O oh God, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Genesis 9-1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. The 131. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Psalms 24-1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. 145.60. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. Genesis 9.8. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants, and with all the animals that are on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. 
Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all the living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Thank you, Julie. So, saying this before we actually read into the text, and I want you to have this kind of on your minds and your hearts as we go through this, is that he's talking about creation and then the things that God has, has made and he's put in, put you in charge of. Now, even though the lesson is going to give us some specifics about what those things are, you and I both know that, I mean, if we're talking about being a steward, that is a very broad topic. He's put you in a place in your, your world, your life, whatever that is, and that, ex that is very expansive. I mean, it's, it's all from one end of the spectrum to the other about what you have been given stewardship over. What you've been put in charge of, let's put it that way. And that should be something that's important to us. Um, if you have a family, you've been put over that family. If you have kids, you've been put in charge of those kids. If you have, um, if, if God has given you belongings of any kind, he's given to you to take care of. We don't, we don't realize that God has blessed us tremendously. I mean, talking blessed with a capital B. Blessed us tremendously with all of these things and that he says, I'm going to give them to you. I'm putting you in charge of them, just like he did with Adam. It's the same, same theme. I'm going to put you in charge of them. You take care of them. You see to it. Now, that's the thing, too, though, is that there's, even though we have the word and we have, we have some direction, there isn't a cheat code for taking care of the things that God has put us in charge of. There's no cheat code. I mean, you, you don't get to go and say, oh, okay. That's it. How many of you have felt like you never had a clear answer about something? Don't have a clear answer. And you know what? I never did get it on multiple topics, multiple subjects. I never got that answer. And I'm thinking, why is this thing so hard sometimes to try to understand? He said, I'm going to put you in charge of it. This is kind of how I imagine in my head. I'm going to put you in charge of it. Go do the best you can. But, I, but I've messed up and I felt that's, that's okay. Just keep going. Anybody with me? Yeah. I'm putting you in charge of it, though. Now, see, even though we're mistake-ridden, I'm the kind of person, I'm, I'm like, I want to do it perfect. Mm -hmm. And if I don't feel like I can do it perfect, then I don't want to be involved in it. I have a tendency to be that way, and that's a problem. It's like, I don't, if I can't do it like this, then I don't want to do it at all. And I have, God has had to come to me, and we've had a, a bit of a, a budding of wills, and he's had to show me, I didn't ask you to be perfect. I just simply asked you to go do it. And, and that's where a lot of times we struggle with. We struggle with the doing part. But I wanted it done my way. He said, no, that's not, that's not what I asked you to do. I asked you to go do it. And your best is enough to God. Someone had their hand up. How many of us have had a job where someone was put in charge of you? Hmm. Didn't know what was going on. <laughs> didn't know what your job was. Didn't know... And you're expected to follow their lead. Mm -hmm. And you're training them. Mm -hmm. And they're getting paid more than you are. Right. <laughs> it's kind of backwards, right? Sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, in, in the, you know, God puts us in charge of things. And, yeah, there are times when uh, I think we can all agree. God, uh, how many of you have ever received uh, what I call a, a promotion from the Lord? Anyone know what I'm talking about? 
God does something big in your life. He, he gives you the big job or he gives you the big opportunity. Something comes up and he gives it to you. I have went from praying about it, praying about it, and praying about it, and then getting it and feeling this big. And I'm like, I, I don't need to be here. I'm the wrong person to be in this situation. Anyone ever felt like you're the wrong person? It's like, God calls you. I want you to go minister. Oh, you call the wrong person. I need you to preach. I need you to sing. Nope, wrong person. Wrong individual. And I think, though, but if we all feel the same way, and I'm pretty sure we do, if we all, if that, let's just say, for instance, your excuse had clout for some reason with God. Like, you could really go to him and say, I'm not the right person. And he would say, oh, okay, well, I'll move on. But what if everybody has the same excuse? At some po point, we all have to stop and say, all right, I'll do it. It's obedience. All right, I'll do it. I'll be the one. If that's what you want me to do, then I'll do it. And, and I'll say this, and we'll keep going. Too often we get lofty ideas about what God wants us to do. It's like huge in our minds. Well, God's got this big calling on my life, and I'm going to go do this. And we can't even, we can't even get the smaller stuff right. You be, be faithful over the small thing, and I'll make you ruler over much and he wasn't even really talking about earthly circumstances. He would talk about laying up your treasures in heaven. He was talking about spiritual things. And so we get our eyes, our eyes, our physical eyes get caught up in, in maybe big, uh, um, oh, lucrative deals and, and big, big opportunities. But we never consider the small opportunity that we have in front of us and to be faithful over that. It's like you want to do great things for God? Just come to church. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Let's just start with that. Just come to church. Just, just pray. Just read your word. If, if you can do those things on a consistent basis, I think God's going to say, all right, we're going to promote you. We're going to do this, something else for you. You understand what I'm saying. I know everybody's situation is different, but God puts things in our life. It's like, it's like well, I want to speak in front of uh, thousands. I want to affect thousands of people. But we ain't even talking to the one person that we got in front of us. Because they don't meet our, they don't, they don't fit our, our <coughs> perception of the kind of person that we want to minister to. So God says, "Here, you want to minister to somebody? Minister." I was like, "Oh, they got earrings. They got, they got earrings and nose rings." And uh, I was kind of looking for somebody a little bit cleaner. God's like, "You want to minister? There it is, minister." I've been in that situation before. I missed a, an opportunity back when I was younger when I worked in the plant. And I missed an opportunity with a guy, and God had been dealing with me about it. And he was—he uh, wore satanic shirts. He had this satanic feel to him. And I was like, man, I don't mess with none of that. Man, I want—I want to go talk to somebody and not have to worry about, you know, any of this rebuttal or this guy's obviously got his stuff figured out on his end. I don't know what I'm going to say to him. So I kind of just walk around it. Well, years went on. Somebody got to him because he became a youth pastor. Somebody did. Somebody got to him, and he ended up dying early. Sad to say. He ended up dying in his 40s. And you think, well, that's a shame. Yeah, but he got saved. Amen. Amen. Got saved. Amen. No thanks to me. <laughs> no thanks to me. But see, I'm thinking about this, though, and I look back at this, these, these, and that's for everybody. It's like God gives you the opportunity, and it starts really small. It's like I want you to take care of this area and it may have some devil worshipers in it it may have some atheists in it it may have have some different folk that you don't really want to jive with but let's be honest we would just like people to come in the door saved 
Like literally, I want you to walk in the door, and as soon as you walk in the door, you drop to your knees, you repent of your sin, you get saved, and then I can call you brother and sister. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> That'd be great. But the more I think about that, the more it sounds like a vending machine church. I'm like, no, no, that's not us. That's not the way we work. That's not the way the kingdom works. It takes work, it takes time, it takes uh, seed planting, right? Because that God said that that's exactly what we was going to have to do is plant seed. Okay. Sorry, I just want to talk about that for a little bit. <laughs> okay. Section 1, caretakers of creation. Creation is solely the work of God, which he gives for our use as a blessing from him. Along with the gift comes the responsibility to care for it. While some uh, believe work came only as part of the fall, Adam and Eve were already take, uh, tasked with taking care of what God had given them. Genesis 1.28 recounts God's commandment to uh, Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish uh, in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. All right, so I just want to stop right there and just really quickly point out, because I, I do believe that. That is actually a, a, a place where people get kind of caught up. They say, well, work, work came because of the fall. No, no, it's different. It was a different kind of work. It was different. And, and even though that, that Christ lifted the curse through his death and resurrection, I am still living on this earth that was cursed with having to toil in the dirt. It's different. The work that you and I are doing, whether you're male or female, doesn't matter. The, the stuff that we're doing, it's different than it was then. It was different. Was it, both, it was work both ways, but it, now it's, it's different. And so... The only way we'll fully understand that is when Christ comes back in the millennial reign, then you'll get to see what it was actually meant to be like, the way it was actually supposed to be from the beginning. All right, so let me, let's, uh, he said that, you know, he was given to reign over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That's everything, right? That's everything. It is our responsibility to use creation to fulfill God's purposes. Adam and Eve were given the task of stewarding God's creation to bring him glory. As Genesis 2.15 points out, they exercise this role in the Garden of Eden. All right, so we're stewarding the things that God has given us because why? Why are you, why should it be important to you to be a good steward of what God has given you? Why not waste it? Squander it, put it that way. Why not? Explanations right here. What do you think? What's it say? Glory. Glory. It's to draw attention to who? Him. It's to bring him glory. It's to bring him honor. Now, however he chooses to do that in your life is up to him. But it's up to us to key in on it. It's like he's asking you to do something. Why? Well, it's not necessarily for monetary gain. It's not for a dollar figure all the time. It's not for... Um, Rapport all the time. Sometimes he puts it in your hand. He says, this is what I want you to do because it's going to bring me the most glory. Haven't you ever questioned God's planning? You know, when God asks you to do something, you're like, you know, no. No way. But he did not ask you because of qualifications. He asked you because it was going to bring him the most glory. For you, as an individual, what he has tasked you to do is the thing that's going to bring in the most glory. Now, that kind of switches it a little bit. It pivots it because that takes it out of my hand. And let's all be honest, because I thought it was all about me. I thought it was all about me getting and what I could get out of the deal. 
God says, I did this. I put you, I tasked you with this. I give this to you. I put you over this to bring me glory. Now that takes on a completely different tune when you consider it from the glory perspective. Because that makes me revamp. I'm come, I bring it back. I'm thinking, okay, well, if that's the case, I'm doing things wrong. I've been, and I'm being honest. This is some, that's, a, that's a touchy thing because it's so easy to get caught up in the world, in the running, and even ministry work that we forget this is for the glory of the kingdom. This is for the glory of the Father. This ain't to bring me credibility. Could I get some credibility out of it? Maybe. Could I get a good name out of it? Maybe. But if that's what we're motivated by, then I think we're motivated incorrectly. Do, you know, God promises a lot of stuff in his word. And I believe, I believe all his promises. I believe that he said, hey, if you do this, I'll give you this. But if that's the way you view it as a standalone piece, like say, hey, I'll give you an example. It's kind of like God said, you know, if you, if, you, uh, if you tithe, then I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out of you a blessing that you cannot contain. Everybody know this scripture? But if the only reason you do it is because you're going to get something in return, something's wrong. Then, then if, if that's the case, then where does the glory of the Father come in? I, I look at that as, you know, when God explains those things to us, I look at those things as bonuses. I'm not saying that God doesn't fulfill his promises. I'm not saying that you shouldn't stand on those promises. I'm saying if that's the only motivation you have is to receive something in return, I think we're mismotivated. I think we're looking at it the wrong way. I think that we need to come back to it and say, what did I even start this thing for? From the very beginning, what did I start it for? Well, you remember, think about this. Before you were ever called into whatever it is that you're doing or God led you to wherever you're at in your life at any given time in your life, you remember it started with prayer and it started in the fact that you were in love with him. That's what drove you. That's what drove you to your knees. That's what drove you to seek him. You worshiped him. You didn't care about anything else. And you came to him and you said, I love you. I want to do your will. And he's like, hey, you got a good heart. And then he says, here, I want to give you this. And the moment he gives it to us, if we're not careful, we become distracted by the gift. We're like, oh. and then we run off. And we, don't, we forget about falling in love with him. We forget about all the love affair and the, and the, the close-knit opportunity that we have to be with him. We forget all that. Ah, oh, that was great. It was a great time. But I got all these things that God has tasked me to do. Now I got to do all these things. Don't forget that it all began with your love for him. Don't forget that. Where did it all start? Come back to the beginning. Do, what's the Bible say? Do your first works over again? Come back to the beginning. Why are you even here? I'm here because I, I love the Lord. Start with that. That's where we begin. And from there, we can find our way. Okay. Um, as Genesis 2.15 points out, they exercise this role in the Garden of Eden. God's creation included his provision for humanity. Creation includes plants and animals were given for food. Some read this phrase as applying only to plant life and hold that the first human pair were vegetarians. That interpretation ignores the fact that it appears after describing both plant life and creation and the animal life, the uh, repetition emphasizes the inclusiveness of God's creation and given to sustain life for humanity. Well, everybody gets caught up in the Old Testament from time to time and they'll say, well, he said we can't eat pork, we can't, we can't have this, we can't do this, and some people still follow that. Well. Look what happened with Peter and Cornelius. And Peter was kind of, you know, he's like, I ain't having nothing to do with Gentiles. 
And what did God do? He showed him this vision. And he's seen all these unclean animals. And Peter was hungry. And he said, kill them and eat them. And he goes, ah, no, they're unclean. He goes, don't call unclean what I've made clean. That's what he told him. He said, hold on now. Game's changed. Not the same anymore. So we have to, we have to see that what God has given us is for use of what? His glory. Just to bring him glory. Whatever has been put in your care is to bring him glory. Whatever it is. Say, I don't know. I mean, God's given me this, and God's given me this, and he's given me the ability to do, because we just said at the beginning. Yeah, abilities and responsibilities. Remember, they go hand in hand. So, I would, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. If I asked you, who in here has abilities to do something great for God? Not very many of you are going to raise your hand. Because most people have this view of themselves as being very small. I don't have anything to offer God. Um, God had been dealing with me for a while to build an altar in my shop. I'm going to share this with you. Build an altar. And I never would build that altar because I didn't believe I could build an altar good enough. And I was like, I don't know how to work with wood. I don't know how to work with these certain things. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to do all those things. I can't make a good altar. And God did deal with me, make an altar. I feel like I need to be praying in this place for some reason. This is my spot. And but I wouldn't do it. And, then, and not too long ago, I become motivated. And I said, I've got to get an altar for you built. And I went around and I'm looking. And I got this big old granite rock. Been out since I moved into this place. And it's real long. And I picked this thing up, and I heaved it into my shop, and I laid it there in the corner, and I pushed it up there, and I put a little pad down, and I felt I completed exactly what God wanted. I knelt down, and I wept, and I worshiped, and I prayed, and I loved God, and I felt it was completed. And all that is there is a piece of padding from my knees and a rock that represents to me what he is, immovable. And it's nothing special at all. But God said, I just, just do it. Just build the altar. Build it. So I don't, I don't think I'm the only person that God does that to. I think he does that with everybody. He, he says, all right, I'm going to task you with this. Here it is. Go to it. And the first thing we do, no, I don't have any ability to do that. It's not, it's not going to be good. Sure not going to look like theirs. Anyone, have you ever been tasked to do something by God and then you compared yours to what other people had done? both hands and the first thing we do is we feel really small because it's like I can't do it that good God's like ah, that's not what I asked you to do it ain't got to be like theirs I just want you to make it make it happen go that direction and I'll bless it uh, it's, it's, can we agree that it's tough sometimes to do that it's tough but in there therein lies the blessing that God is trying to give us alright so um, some read this phrase is, oh I'm sorry I got past that uh, and then the petition emphasizes the inclusiveness of God's creation given to sustain life for humanity. Our view of humanity, in part two, our view of humanity must reflect the values inherent to uh, how God sees humanity. God values human life, and we must value life as well. Can we all say amen? amen. I don't think there's, any, there's, there's no argument over that. From that godly value, we can better understand the attitude we should have toward the rest of creation. Psalm 8 has been called a creation psalm. After speaking of the majesty of God's name and all the earth and his glory above the heavens, 
David called the heavens God's handiwork and the placement of the moon and the stars the result of his choice. When we think of the vastness of, of outer space and the number of stars and planets that fill it, the picture David painted becomes clear. Moon, stars, and planets in space reveal the greatness of God who created them. I agree. Humans seem small in comparison to the heavenly bodies. How can God in his splendor and greatness want to pay us any attention? How can he care for us? Yet God does care about humans. God made them only a little lower than the angels. Clearly, God made humanity higher than animals, and he crowned humanity with glory and honor. Consequently, if God views human life as valuable, Christians are to do no less. Some in our world view humanity as simply the highest form of animal life. You are more than just an animal life. And, it's, and God is very picky about the way that you're to perform tasks because there is nothing else that's been given the task. You are the one to given, has been given the task uh, for stewardship. No one has been given the stewardship role over you. The only person that's over you is God. He's been put over you. <coughs> Who's the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. We, we got to know our part in all of this. And so you have, um, well, I think the lesson brings it up in section three, but you have value. You have value. I know, I know that you love your animals. Some of you got, you know, you got animals that are close to you, but humans are above animals. By creation design, you're above the animal. And so I think that's important that we put those things in perspective. Some of y'all look at me laughing like, man, you don't know how much I love my fluffy. I get it. I, I get it. I understand. I'm just saying. In, in the realm of creation, the way that you were created, we were created to be over that. We were created to be the dominant one. So I think that's very important that we consider that. Okay. Any believer inclined to consider such a view should note that God shows extremely high regard for human life. Yes, he does. We are the crowning jewel of creation. No human should be less than respectful of it either. Um, if uh, it's not to th we're not thinking of ourselves higher, higher than we should, but we are the crown jewel of all creation. We are. Why? Can someone tell me why? Kind of when it is in Genesis. Why are we the crown jewel? We're the image of God. That's it. That's the answer right there. Because you were made in His image, mm -hmm. and you are the only thing that was ever made in His image. That's powerful. And so with that comes a lot of things, a lot of responsibilities. Psalm 8 and 6 reminds us of what some describe as God's appointment of humanity as governor of his creation. We maintain order and shine a light on the glories of what God has made. We are not under the control of creation. We must not view it as a God to be worshipped or as a taskmaster to rule our actions. Rather, we are to view it as something to be guarded and maintained. Guarded, right? What's guarded? If you're going to guard something, what are you doing? You're protecting it. So we're going to guard it, then we're going to do what? Maintain it. Take care of it. Make sure that it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like, I always, you know what I was thinking about when I was studying this was talents. I was thinking about the parable of the talents. And God gives this person this much and this person this much, and then, the, and then he leaves it up to stewardship. Because he said, he went away on a journey, remember? And then he came back to see what had been done. There was no like... Once again, I refer back to the cheat code. There was no cheat code on how to actually pull it off. Here, I put you in charge of this. Do something with it. I think if we all just consider how important it is to be responsible Christians, 
I learned that a long time ago. Accountability. If everybody is accountable 100% of their actions, then everything is going to get done like it's supposed to. Everybody. Well, think about it. If, if everybody was 100%, 100% accountable to their actions, we wouldn't have issues with the justice system. We wouldn't. You wouldn't have school shootings. You wouldn't have Christians not being Christians. You wouldn't have that. You'd have people being 100% uh, not only committed, but accountable for their actions and what they've done. It's kind of like hardwired into us. And, and as far as the, the physical body and the flesh, this is the thing that died a long time ago. You know, we took on the new, remember the new countenance, the new, well, new man, new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But it's like, it's really weird because it's hardwired into us and our flesh will rise back up. We don't want to be accountable for things that we've done wrong. Why? Because, man, it's hard enough just to admit that you was wrong. Any amens? Think about it, though. See, that, that connects, though. That, that's, that's in connection to accountability and being, being a steward to what God has given you. Just the simple thing of, of bowing out when you are convinced that you're right. You know what? I'm going to let you have it. It's, it's not in your flesh to do that. It's not. Your flesh wants to say, but I was right and I can prove it. Misty will tell you I'm the world's worst about it. I got evidence. You know, hold on. Let me get my phone. I'll show you the picture. And I'll run it into the ground. And then I realize, I'm like, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on a second. Does it, at the end of the day, we're asked to be stewards over what we've been given. Now, I've been given, in my household, I have peace. I've been, I've been given, I've been made steward over peace. Did you ever think about that as being something you were a steward over? I've been, I've been given peace as to be a steward over. Now it's up to me to be responsible for it. So what does that mean? Anything that threatens the peace of God in my family, i got to come against it, even if it comes from me. So you, in your household, you got to call yourself out sometimes. You say, but I'm right. It doesn't matter. What are you going to do to maintain what you have been given? I'm going to bow out. I'm going to back up, and I'm going to rethink everything that I'm doing, and I'm just going to let it go. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm 42 now. I've been married for almost 20 years, and I haven't learned that quite yet. <laughs> I, I'm working on it because I have seen the value of it when I do it. When I actually do it, I see the value of it. It's huge, huge in my family. It's like, you know what? You don't have to be right today. Not today. I'm going to let it go. Everybody's, we're going to maintain peace. We're going to maintain happiness. Everyone's going to remain happy, and we're just going to leave it the way it is. Because how many of you, when you wanted to be right, when you finally got your way, did you see the path of destruction behind you? <laughs> you look back, and I'm like, was it worth it? It's just a question. Was it worth it? All right. Guarded. Guarded and maintained. How much time do I have? The glasses are great for reading, but not at reading clocks. Okay. After leaving the ark, Noah built an altar to the Lord. There's that altar. There Noah offered a burnt offering from every clean animal and every clean bird. Through Noah and his sons, the human race was to start over again. Like Adam, they were commanded to populate the earth. In addition, God affirmed the responsibility he had previously placed on humanity to care for the rest of creation. 
Verse 2 is interesting, as it seems to indicate that the relationship between humans and animals as a particular aspect of creation changed after the flood to something more antagonistic. Scripture says that animals would fear humans, indicating that this was not the case before the flood. It would be amid this kind of setting going forward that humans and animals would coexist. God then confirmed his covenant with Noah, which would extend throughout time in this world. Notice that all of creation... All that is living is included in this covenant. In Genesis 9, 1-17, reference is made to the earth nearly a dozen times, a reminder of God's concern for all that he created. How are we as believers to reflect upon and act, and act according to this covenant? Once again, we must see our own place in creation, ruling over all that God has made. But we also cannot lose sight of the value God has placed on creation. Well, I mean, we put the emphasis on Noah... He made mistakes, right? Did he not make some mistakes like right out of the boat? I mean, right out of the boat, he's blowing it. And and we look at him, and he continued on. It's like, i got to do the best I can. I'm saying this, and I, this keeps coming back to me. The reason I'm saying this is because so many of us are rating our value with God and whether we're able to do things for God today because of something we've done before, and we put ourselves in a value category. Well... I'm not, I haven't done real good in my past. I've got some, I carry some baggage. I got kind of this place down here that God's going to allow me to be over. When God's like, no, I need you to, come on, let's go. We've got some things to go do. There's no limit to what God wants you to do. There's no limit. The only person that's limiting is you. We still hold our past so closely to us. And I, and I get it. I do. I know that a lot of you, you know, we, we look at the Bible, and we know what the Bible says. We see that it tells us to, we need to let go of our past, and we need to move forward. I understand that that's easier said than done. I get it completely, that many of us struggle with thoughts, dreams, issues, and things. And even though we still deal with those things, that does not devalue who you are to God. It doesn't. Nor does it dismiss that God has given you something to be responsible over. You're not going to be able to hide behind that. Say, well, but God, like, like the parable of the talent, you gave me one, and I knew that you was a hard man. That's what the Bible said, he said. That's just not, not true at all. He said, I knew that you were a hard man, so I took uh, your talent, and I hid it in the dirt. And so when you come back, I'll give back to you just like you gave it to me. And what did he do? He said, give the talent to the one who's got the most. Why? Because he was working. He was taking what he had, and he was doing something with it. What happened to the evil servant? He was cast into outer darkness. He was not being a steward over what God gave him, even if it was the one thing. It didn't exactly elaborate, other than the fact that he said he was a hard man. Maybe he had other excuses. Maybe he thought he wasn't good enough to handle the talent. Maybe he just was lazy, because he did it. He said he was slothful. If God has put you in a place, in a particular thing, and he's put you over it, it's for a reason. It's not for nothing. Your job, you're there for a reason. You're lighting the way. You're a beacon to somebody every single day. So it's very important that you consider that responsibility. For years, I just wanted to get out of where I was at. Never really cared. Too much about what God had tasked me to do and I needed to finish the task. Man, just get me out of here. 
Anyone ever do that? Just get me out of here. This is not where I need to be. You might want to back up and rethink your praying and say, God, where do you need me? And if this is the place where you need me to be, then that's where I guess I need to be. It's not always pleasant. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Okay, let's finish up. We're almost out of time. You know what? We need to run to, let's go to section three. Let's just jump over to section three. God values his creation. Throughout Genesis 1, God referred to the parts of his creation as good. Upon the completion of creation, he declared the whole to be very good. Genesis 1.31, creation has innate value. That's particular value. That's, a, that's value that was done on purpose. Okay, you with me? That's value that was done on purpose. You have value because, not by accident, you were created with a purpose which also brings value. All right? Not like an accidental find. You know, like I found some. oh, I found something valuable. I didn't realize it was valuable. No, you're not an accident. You're not a happenstance find. You're, you have innate value, which means the value that you have was given to you on purpose. Purposeful value. That, that's different. And that value should lead us to praise God for what he has made. Amen. Psalm 24 declares God is the ruler of the universe. He created, um, he, universe he created, speaking of his provision for what he has made. Seeing his power and creativity ought to compel us to worship him for who he is. Psalm 89 focuses on the covenant with David that was to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The psalm declares God's chest, or chest, an important Hebrew word usually translated loving kindness, mercy, or steadfast love, and often used to refer to God's uh, covenantal love and loyalty to his people. He chest extends, his chest extends to creation and to his people. He will one day restore it to its glory as it was prior to the fall. All right, we'll run pretty much out of time. That's where I want to end. But I want to tell you about a little bit just about this value that you've been given and that I think, I think there's a, a bit of a temptation. I call it a temptation. There's a bit of a temptation to always look at our lives as never being really fulfilled because, well, we didn't get to do this and we didn't get to do that and we had all these things that happened to us that hinder us. And we have a tendency to look at our life as not being as valuable because certain events have happened in our life that, ref that don't allow us to do things the way that we would have liked to. That doesn't take away your value. You, you can have circumstance after circumstance after circumstance happen in your life, but that does not take away God's value out of it. You still have value. Also, that doesn't take away stewardship. He has still given you a, an area and a place in your life to be over and to be in command over. You have to decide what that is, and you have to decide whether you're living that out to its top potential. Are we giving it everything we have, or did we stop somewhere because something happened or, or something didn't go as planned, and now we're thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'm just done with all that, but maybe not. Maybe not. I'm out of time. God bless you guys. Thank you.